Navy Federal has a mission to put members first by making their financial goals the priority. Receive a lifetime of membership benefits to help you and your family accomplish your life missions, like a full suite of financial products designed to fit your needs, 24-7 live support, and access to over 300 branches on or near military bases. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app. Message and data rates may apply. I welcome back, everyone. We're going to go back to the well on the mailbag since we got some really positive feedback. Feedback? Oh, man. Wow, this is a struggle. I My wife was gone yesterday, uh, and so I just stayed home and watched games, but didn't actually do any talking for about a 36-hour period. And uh, apparently, I'm a little rusty. All right, we got some great feedback on the mailbag, not the feedback. And so we're going to go back to that format here for the East. Liam did a bunch of research uh, on his questions uh, with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, so let's start there what are their fundamentals sure so the nets are three and four since the last 15 and 60 seven and ten overall negative 1.6 net rating 21st in the league 110 offensive rating 10th in the league 111.7 defensive rating 23rd in the league and they're projected for 36 wins which would be 10th in the east so the first question is from colin brady and he asked uh should the nets actively tank or just play it straight up and i think obviously it's best for their long-term future to get as much high end talent as possible uh i don't think they're gonna have to do much to not be great like the the problem with their roster construction is that they're they've done such a good job around the margins that they're so deep that even if they traded away like a couple guys it'd be hard for them to be you know really actively bad to be within the top you know five or so so i don't know how much benefit there would actually be to you know tearing it down completely even if they do have a bunch of expiring guys i don't think they'd get a lot of value from that and some of them are guys that they'd be interested in keeping like spencer dimwitty um and a couple other guys so i don't know where do you guys fall on that as far as uh, their plans for the rest of the season now with the Levert injury, making it probably less likely that they're going to actually make a playoff run here. Well, so I expected the worst after Levert, not only because of his injury, but just because I, they relied a lot on on what he did well. And I have been impressed. I've watched a little bit of them, more than a little bit. I watched almost the whole Clippers game, and then I watched bits and pieces of their other ones. And they've been a lot more competitive. That goes to the depth idea, and they have, you know, they're they're hitting some shots and everything else like that. But they're benefiting in a couple different ways. One is lottery reform could end up really helping them that there isn't as much of a difference between like let's say the fifth worst record and the eighth worst record as there used to be so maybe they can be a little bit more ambivalent and what i would do just considering how the bottom of the east is right now is you know push a little bit see if you can see what the what you can do with your roster especially because they don't really need to go into like a true youth movement unless musa and kuruks look better and just see where see where it goes and then if you reach the point where you know you're not going to make the playoffs then you pivot and, and you go in from there. And then if, if somebody makes an offer for you on somebody that, that is valuable that you're not intending to keep, and sure, make that trade, but I think they should have been in that mode anyway. Well, so much to me depends on whether they're willing to take on long-term salary. I think they have guys, uh, Jared Dudley could be a bench forward for a team. I think Damari Carroll actually could start for some team. I mean, think of like Damari Carroll on the Sixers, for example, would look really good. And this statement doesn't apply necessarily to the Sixers because they don't have long-term salary either that they would send back necessarily except marco Fultz. uh but carol is someone who absolutely could help a team but probably isn't worth a first round pick on his own he's an expiring contract as well making about 15 million so you would want to be taking back bad salary but the net stated idea is to preserve as much cap space as possible for this summer so with that being the case, I, I think it's more likely to me that Carol Dudley are, are going to stay on the team. Maybe those guys just end up getting bought out 
but it's hard to see like what the flip is for a team that could use Carroll where the Nets could get back salary that also expires. So it's hard to construct a trade with him with their stated goals of keeping 2019 cap space open. Another thing I think they might consider is uh, try to get see what the value is for Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who seems unlikely to me to be in their plans. We've noted a, a lot that when he's out there, their spread pick and roll attack really kind of falls apart because he's just hanging around, hanging out on the baseline. I mean, every time I've watched them and he's been in, it's just palpable uh, how much worse their offense seems to go with him out there. So I think that you might try to move into a team that just, and also again, he's a restricted free agent. If they realize their cap space aspirations this summer, it seems unlikely he'd be back. And he just, I think he's not good enough as a starting caliber player. And that's what he's going to want to get paid like. So maybe if there's a team that values him in that way. Uh, oh. And then the reason, I, yeah, go ahead. I have a quick question for both of you guys. Yeah. How would you be feeling about Alan Crabb right now? So Crabb has an $18.5 million <laughs> player option. I don't even think, the, I think the voice is so self-evident we don't need to get into it. But how <laughs> how desperate or what what should their approach be with Crabb? Because it is kind of a sunk cost thing. He's only one year, so it's not like, oh my God, we have to get off that. Maybe if two max guys say yes next summer, then you start, then you move him at that point. But are you willing to, you know, kind of cut bait on him? And let's say there's a, a an even worse guy, like I'm thinking, of like Miles Plumley, let's say. So Plumley is a significantly worse player, but he makes six million less for next season. Like, is that something that you would consider? Because he does provide value for them. It's just that he doesn't provide as enough value relative to his contract. I think we all know how I feel about Crab. So uh, Liam, you want to take this one? Sure. Well, he's been pretty dreadful offensively this year. I think uh, he's in like the first. Oh, hold on, I got it right here. He's in the like third percentile for points scored per scoring opportunity for the cleaning the last stat and Oof. yeah so he, he's just been like terrible shooting he's getting the rim like not at all like eight percent of his shots are at the rim so the one thing he does provide is he's still like a good enough shooter where like he's respected at least still so he's not hitting that shot a yeah. ton this year but the nets run a ton of weak side action with him and joe harris that opened up other stuff for him with their primary stuff so he still does provide value in that way um I, I don't know i don't think the nets are really in line to really make big splashy moves for agency and i think there is value in being like the first team to jump on like the team that starts accepting salary dumps so taking on salary for next year i think you can find some value that that way so if they wanted to take on some bad money for next year but he's almost certainly to opt into his player option next year which is like 18 and a half million so it's pretty bad money i I still think he could be you know a rotation type guy i mean he's not this bad of a shooter and he does have that gravity i mentioned and defensively actually competed pretty well but yeah yeah it's been pretty ugly so far i wanted to get back to the point I, i was making there which is before i so rudely interrupted by Danny uh but that's fine I was droning on uh and that is the power forward position to me is the one where they can really go back to kind of tanking things a, a little bit Kurex looked really good then he had that sprained ankle and some guys came back we haven't seen him since then uh but you know I, I liked what I saw from him early on and I don't think that any of the guys they're throwing out there at power forward are necessarily a part of their future so I do think that they can get a look at him hopefully uh build up some value uh, for him he's going to be on a cheap contract for a while but Musa I mean very clearly isn't ready but you know maybe if they go in another direction uh, from crab they could start sitting him a, a little bit as well and maybe 
get Musa. So those are the two guys, Musa and Crooks, as Danny mentioned, who really can give them uh, both a chance to look at those guys and some tanktasticness. But I, I would wait until, you know, the last month of the season to do that. And, you know, as Danny said, it don't, won't take much that last month of the season to kind of get back into range where, you know, you at least got a decent chance at, at getting up in a high pick. Do, do you mind if I ask uh, you a little bit yeah. about uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson and what you guys think of him? Because I, I think some people still value him as like a, a valuable contributor, but I, I just don't quite see it. I mean, he's 44% true shooting percentage. He's been awful offensively. He's a total non-shooter. They played him at center against the Wolves when Jared Allen was injured, and he just got pummeled on the inside. The, the Wolves feasted in the paint. And so he's a power forward that can't shoot. And I, I think a lot of people are falling in the trap of like, well, he's not that great of an offensive player. He must be great on defense. And to me, yeah. he's just like good on de- like he's a plus, but like he's he's not this great game changing defensive player, and he can't play the five. So I don't know what his value is. Yeah, no, I mean that's a, that's why I was saying what I, what I was there. Uh, I mean, Dan, you have any different thoughts uh, on him uh, than kind of what we've been saying here? No, I and I think there is actually a chance that he prices into the Nets' plans. Where basically, because as a restricted free agent who won't be high in the market unless somebody makes a mistake, maybe he just takes the qualifying offer or something like that, and you're just sitting there going, okay, well, if we don't really have anything else to do, and then he's your fifth forward or fourth forward, and if he's being paid fifth or fourth forward money, you know, I'm okay with it, even though he's flawed. More than that, no. Yeah, and so that, I mean, I, there may be nothing out there for him. I, I hadn't realized that his stats were that bad. I mean, I think that groin injury, it sounds like, was pretty severe. Uh, really might have set him back. Um, he was a disappointment for me. I thought he could be really good, but he just, you know, the shooting, I never particularly expected to come around, but I thought he was a much better athlete than he's shown uh, in the league so far, and that's part of why I think it's led to him. You know, I thought he could be like an Andre Robertson level defender with like some more offensive game, at least around the basket, and he hasn't been as explosive around the basket as I thought and uh you know has not been that level of defender yet um you want to take this last question here Liam sure so Steve Song asks any feel on D'Angelo Russell as a starting guard in the NBA and I think most people are probably pretty down on him overall and I think there's good reason for that but there's also like some reason for optimism so offensively I think he can be really effective against certain coverages like if team if teams are going to high hedge against him he has like that size and the passing vision to pick some of those defenses apart and the Wizards and the Clippers played a ton of drop coverage against him and he's really good at like putting his man in jail and hitting those mid-range shots and making passes out of that if he needs to he just doesn't get to the rim at all and especially against switches he just doesn't have any juice he, he got stoned by Taj Gibson a couple of times and Otto Porter and he's just he tried to turn the corner a couple of times and he couldn't do it at all so he's career low at like shots at the rim field goal percentage at the rim free throw attempts so his problem is his athleticism but he can be a pretty good guy off ball and then there's the defensive issues where he's just not as physical so I don't know there's some teams where I think he could be a pretty good fit for somebody that has a different creator because against a lot of defenses that aren't like switching one through five he can be pretty effective it's the problems against those switching defenses where he just doesn't have any juice to actually create any separation so where, where are you guys at on him to me it's more likely that i'll be happier with him well i'll be happier with him either way as a backup than a starter you're right that there are certain fits that could be better and incidentally i don't think the nets are one of those even though lavert can do more with the ball in his hands just the idea of switchability is is a challenge i mean i don't think jared allen in particular because sometimes with switchability you're thinking about the other players sometimes you're thinking about the big because that's the person who's setting the screen i don't think of allen as somebody who i love i really like jared allen but that that's going to just like beast a small and so you're sitting there going oh we, we you know what are, what are we going to do there so I, I think there's a place for him in the league i think there's a place for him as like maybe like a 20 minute a game guy and then if he's if he's hot you keep him in a little bit longer and so he's a part of he's a part of the answer but not the answer so that's okay i don't 
don't think there's any shame in that. But if that's where, if I'm right and that's where it is, then Brooklyn should seriously consider, you know, renouncing him, maybe, you know, seeing what else is out there because that is not a good enough player to get them to where they want to go. All right, much more to get to here, like, you know, the entire rest of the Eastern Conference. Uh, But I want to tell you about morning recovery. Uh, The founder is a Korean American, a former engineer at Tesla. And so he would go to Korea. And he noticed when he would go out drinking there that a lot of the people were drinking these supplements and they seemed to be like pretty good the next day. And so he was like, you know, it's ridiculous that we don't have this here. So he actually took it beyond even what they drink in Korea and created morning recovery. Their secret is DHM. It's a plant-based superhero ingredient, which is shown to help accelerate the decomposition of toxins in the liver. So I, of course, had to try it out before I was going to endorse it. A couple of weeks ago, had one of our good couple friends over to hang out and you know we had a couple of beverages and then he turned on this baseball game and it was that actually that like what eventually became that 18 inning world series game between the dodgers and the red sox I used to love baseball a long time ago, but now I think it's incredibly boring, as you may have heard me quip on the show. So I was like, hey, you know, what? we got these morning recovery here. We're all going to try it. Let's uh, let's actually make this interesting. So I, I devised a little game to uh, imbibe some beverages, thinking, you know, it's already the 12th inning or whatever. Like this will only last a couple of innings. Well, it went 18 innings. <laughs> and uh so it turned out to actually be a slightly better test of morning recovery than i'd planned on but I, it actually handles it with a plum i was really impressed with how i felt waking up the next morning but you don't have to take my word for it if you don't love it you can get your money back the way to get started with them is morningrecoverydrink.com slash cap space to get you 20 percent off your entire order whether it's a six pack 12 pack or the 24 pack at morningrecoverydrink.com slash cap space you'll get 20 percent off your entire order morningrecoverydrink.com slash cap space let me know that slash cap space url that you came from us all right well where i wanted to go next here was talking about the boston celtics and toronto raptors why don't we just start with the fundamentals for boston and then we can get into another great game between these two teams which took place on friday night yeah i mean these teams could play every night and i'd be happy with it and this game had a lot of different elements that were not in in game one so that was really fun celtics are nine and seven three and four since the last 15 and 60 they are 11th in net rating at plus 2.8 25th in offense first in defense still and their 538 projection is 52 wins which would tie them for third in the Eastern Conference. So I'm probably going to blend some observations between Toronto and Boston. We'll do Toronto's fundamentals at the end. Please help me remember to do that. Uh, Serge Ibaka returned for this game. He had missed the previous game, a close loss at home for the Raptors. He actually lost uh, three straight before blowing out the Bulls on Saturday night. So Ibaka returned. Uh, I think his spacing is really important for their offense, uh, especially going up a, against a good defense, because we noted when we talked about that game against the Pistons, they're only four out of 20 from three. You know, Ibaka's not taking that many threes, but he at least leaves the middle open. You know, he's not trying to post up. Uh, he'll, even when he's popping on those pick and rolls, it's giving guys more room, and Ibaka is a wonderful mid-range shooter. Uh, I'm going to try and keep these observations a little bit more general, and we'll see how much time we have after that. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, I thought really gave the Celtics problems Uh, despite all of the great defenders that they have on this team I really thought that the only guy who even looked competent guarding him you know just uh, and I shouldn't say like these
these guys are doing a bad job. It's just Kawhi Leonard is really strong and really patient and he gets to his spots and he just has a fantastic pace to his game. I thought Marcus Morris was really the only guy who was able to just prevent Kawhi from getting exactly where he wanted to go. I mean, you noted, Danny, that you there are very few players you'll see like get to their spot against Marcus Smart the way Kawhi did. It was crazy. I mean, Marcus Smart dug in. It wasn't anything like Kawhi caught him wrong-footed and just moved his way, not necessarily through Marcus Smart, but around into the lane, right around the dotted line and just got a shot and doesn't happen very often. And this gets into something. I mean, you could make an argument that Boston was the biggest loser in the Kawhi trade because their single largest weakness as a defense is those dominant one-on-one scores because the idea of switching is that you're not creating those type of seams. But if a guy doesn't need that, like LeBron James in prior years and Kawhi Leonard now, not that they succeed in the same way, but it's that same sort of an idea. And so that will be challenging for Boston. And we'll see if Giannis can be that type of guy. I don't think Giannis has, he's kind of a different type of scorer, but you know, Boston, great defense, first in the league, lots of so much that we like about it, but it does, that is one of the tactical things. They have all of these like very good defenders, but no truly elite defenders for that type of player. But amazing as it is to say, uh, Leonard, who had 31 points, 15 rebounds, four assists, three steals, and only two turnovers, was eclipsed in this game by Kyrie Irving. And one thing I will give Brad Stevens credit for is he's, despite the fact that they've been struggling, he's not overtaxing these guys. Even in an overtime game, Irving only played 39 minutes, but he had 43 points, 11 assists, 18 of 26 from the field. And it was just an incredible tour de force of a game for him a lot of it was making difficult mid-rangers but he had not really been getting to the basket in some of these big performances in his last few games that changed he did get to the rim still not a ton of free throws considering the number of field goal attempts only six uh but he did get to the rim and make plays there and so you know, 18 out of 26. I mean, with the diet of shots that he shoots, you're not going to shoot that well every game, although he's been on quite a tear lately. But I thought it was encouraging that he was getting to the rim with some of those crazy finishes, you know, especially late uh, that he had become known for in Cleveland. Kyrie Irving at his best can score on damn near everybody. And it was awesome to see that against Toronto, who has, you know, they don't necessarily have the great greatest defensive guard personnel, but they just have help. They have lots of different guys that can be around. I, I think they do. Who, who are you? Who are uh, you? Uh, I don't I don't think Lowry does a great job on Kyrie. Kyrie's just too shifty and like Lowry at this point in his career, he's not as not that he was ever the most nimble guy, but I I just think Kyrie gives him trouble. I would actually I mentioned this during the game. I would actually put Kawhi on Kyrie for big portions of the game also because Boston's other guys, while they're good, I don't think of them as like, oh, they're going to beast on Kyle Lowry. It's not not that sort of a circumstance. Yeah. So yeah, well, they did go to Tatum a couple of times. They did. They did. And went to Tatum when Lowry was on him so yeah I mean that that was the idea but if if that's the choice if the choice is like a few Tatum on on Kyle Lowry circumstances or Kyrie on anybody else alive I'll I'll go with Tatum every time and that that I mean Tatum's a really good player it's just that that's how incandescent Kyrie can be and often is yeah we didn't I don't think we got to see the best that Nick Nurse had to offer as a defensive strategy due to Danny Green fouling out. Yeah, that was in huge this game on, on on what was definitely one the refs could have let go, but it was also kind of like a makeup call for a miss where they thought Gordon Hayward had touched the ball and it went out of bounds and actually hadn't touched it on a fast break situation for Toronto. So then right after that, Green uh, commits that foul in the rebounding action, and I mean the over the backbreakers for Toronto, like that one where Green fouled out, and then Siakam they're up to with basically ex- 
exactly 25 seconds left. They missed a shot and Siakam commits an over the backbreaker and gives Hayward two free throws to tie the game. And that was, that was pretty awful. Um, other than that, what did you make of Siakam's performance in this game? And do you think we can take any of that away from uh, anything away from that as far as he, how he fits in this matchup? In the first game, Boston did such a beautiful job of attacking the looseness of his dribble. And I thought Siakam looked more, he, he looked more in control, but also just more comfortable. He was still doing the spin moves and stuff. It wasn't like he was he was doing anything yeah. that different. But I thought he, yeah, he. I thought he looked better. And defensively, he does fit really well in this series, just because he can he can move around. He did, you know, the fouls. Some of those were were concerning, of course. But just as as a piece of the puzzle, as a potential fifth starter, especially because Boston doesn't attack the basket that much, and they're really not. I mean, that's one of their biggest flaws so far this season. At some point, we'll probably do a, a greater analysis of why their offense has struggled so much. And yeah, I think that's an option. Ibaka certainly can help them as well. So I, I think he can fit in this series if they play, and I hope they do. I really, really hope they do. And, you know, it is more of a like a fourth or fifth option offensively most of the time, unless he's grabbing and going and then just works from there. But he can certainly do that. Yeah, I, I think it, it'll be interesting to see how he gets defended when he really get into a playoff series. Oh, should we should way, we talk? Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, yeah, I, no, no. I, I was I was going to say because it, he you know has a very basic game, but you know if he catches the ball at the free throw line on the move, he can just kind of physically overwhelm guys, spin back, make a lay, layup. He's developed pretty good touch on those plays, but you know if they really start attacking him, double teaming, you know I haven't seen a ton of passing from him once he really puts his head down. You know, so he has a a basic game that can be very effective at certain times uh, but you know we'll see whether you know that actually translates when opponents are really kind of ready for him um but yeah what were you gonna say well i think that's a great point and i'll i'll, I'll echo it i just wanted to make sure that for the story of this game because i almost forgot it that part of the story of this game was the way that both coaches ran the rotations that ended up being that valanchunas and aaron baines were basically matched up with all these second unit minutes and it was yeah it was so bizarre because it just it, it was such a different character of the game than the rest of it and you know there there can be moments for those guys and i was kind of sitting there the whole time going okay yeah we're watching them battle back and forth and you know body blows and all that kind of yeah. stuff but i, it felt I enjoyed like, that i enjoyed, I enjoyed it too i, I enjoy big, big man play go at each other yeah but i also was thinking like zigging while the other team is zagging could be a benefit for both of these teams especially considering they yeah. can each they can each handle not going with a big man at all and yeah i mean valanchunas can eat sometimes against smaller guys but it kind of felt like both of them should have gone away from it sooner but boston was it was working well for them so you understand why they did yeah and i think it, having some more switchability as well i mean uh, Kyrie irving was doing really well against some of their conventional pick and roll coverage i mean I, I didn't think ibaka was playing defense poorly but irving was able to attack and pick and roll get to his spots uh get to the rim and score on, on ibaka and so i'd be very interested to see you know how it would look if they did try the siakam at center lineup you know, also worth noting that og Ananobi uh appeared to injure himself something i'm not sure exactly what that was uh in the first half oh so he, he took a hard he took a half. hard fall he he went up oh, on i think hip. he went yeah, yeah he right. went up for like a rebound or a shot and he just landed got just got kind of side got got knocked i think in his lower leg and so then he came down on his hip um for toronto they did a lot especially late of the 3-1 pick and roll with Kawhi handling and Lowry screening for him and I thought that they just didn't execute that well enough and the idea behind that obviously is to get the switch of Kyrie Irving guarding Kawhi and I think like Kyrie has just made such strides in Boston it's even more palpable to me this year you know the way he's challenged guys at the rim I mean he, he'll get strips he'll jump even when the guy's a lot bigger and actually like force some misses you know I haven't seen a lot of times where he's just gotten killed 
world uh you know, the him not getting over screens isn't as big of a deal they they really shut down Cal Lowry uh, as well you know and Irving it was wasn't guarding him the whole time but was part of the time um you know that that's going to be a big concern for Toronto is how are they going to get uh open shots for Lowry because he can't really do anything at the rim and same thing for uh Van Vliet who's really struggling this year and struggled in this one he was 0 for 6 uh but back to the execution thing they just weren't able to get the switch and the problem was i think lowry just isn't doing a good enough job of as soon as you because the way that you get the switch is you set that screen and then you get out of there uh presumably or preferably to pop if you're a great shooter like lowry and by getting out of there after you set the screen you're forcing the guy that you just screened to go with you because if he doesn't then you're just going to be wide open for a three and so Lowry would kind of screen and Kyrie would step out there but then he just Lowry wouldn't get separation from the point of the screen and so the guy who is guarding Kawhi which is generally Marcus Morris at that point uh, was able to just get right back in front of him and so I, I thought that was really and not having that extra shooter in green as well at the end I think really hurt them also um because they they like Danny Green has got to be in the closing lineup for this team as much as I like Siakam and Ananobi and as well as Ibaka has played I mean I think one of those three guys has to be out of the closing lineup because uh they just desperately need that one guy who's just gonna jack it from three at the end of games to get that spacing um and then for Boston I think what popped out to me again Kyrie so much of what they did in this game offensively was driven by Kyrie although it was good to see Tatum getting to the rim late as well but it's very clear to me that Boston could really and I don't think they're going to get this player I'm not sure how they would but they just need one more guy who is a knockdown shooter and not only is a knockdown shooter but just is going to like stay out by the three-point line like a nose is roll you know I think and and the fact that Jalen Brown hasn't shot it as well from three this year he's under 30 percent has been a problem for them also uh but they just have too many guys who are high usage in that starting lineup and it's something that's talked about a lot on the broadcast that you have all these guys on this team and you've got six guys on this team averaging more than 9.2 shots per game and then you've got rosier averaging eight so uh, there's i do think there could be a little bit more of a of a pecking order they've started to do that now with, with Kyrie, but then you kind of have the question of who the number two guy is and to me i think they need despite the fact that hayward has really struggled in a lot of ways and he has no explosion i mean he just uh, we saw it especially on the back-to-back against utah on saturday night uh i think they need to put the ball in his hands more just as a passer because he to me is probably the best passer in uh this starting group and so hopefully they can find ways to let the other guys work off the ball a little bit more and let Hayward set them up uh and that 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 could be a way to kind of the best way maybe to keep everyone happy to say to Gordon hey you know your your job is going to be to distribute a little bit more especially when you don't have the explosion getting all the way to the rim but you know that's that's easier said than done to be sure it is and kind of getting a theory of the lineup of this is where the kind of where the ball should be going this is how possessions are going to be run is challenging with all the guys they added back I mean Boston it's not surprised that Boston's dynamics were a little bit better last year when there was a clearer pecking order than now where you just have a lot of guys that are comfortable with it. And I wanted to briefly answer a question that somebody asked in the Toronto section, which was, is there shooting, you know, is there something bigger wrong here? Is it a slump? And for me, it, it is more of a slump. You have a lot of guys, Van Vliet, you mentioned, he's at 30% for the year. Lowry, you're talking third. about Boston, Boston Toronto, or, or, Toronto. Oh, Toronto. Well, yeah. actually, it's kind of true with both, but but more for me with yeah. Toronto, that they have guys that are better shooters than, than they've done so far. You know, like CJ Miles is a 27%. The only guy who's blowing away their expectations is Danny Green. Is it somehow at 46 
on 5.5 per game, which is ridiculous. But everybody else, I think that that will, will get there overall. And yeah, with Boston, I mean, that's something that we've been kind of keeping an eye on all year as they've had these just massive offensive struggles. I mean, a big part of that is not getting to the line, all that. And I do want to get into some greater substance on that later on. But yeah, I mean, they're 35% from three this year, which is not great for this the standard of this season. So I expect that to get a little bit better. Another thing that's really interesting to note about Toronto, their bench has not been uh, the dominating unit that we've seen uh, so far. Wright has a, a negative 9.8 net rating. Van Vliet is, is right about even. Valanciunas is only five. You know, he's playing more with the starters. Obviously, they're, they're flipping that around. Uh, and Danny Green, 18 net rating. I think it, it's so clear. I mean, especially, obviously, the fact when he's shooting 45% on threes uh, with the type of shots he's shooting, you know, you're going to look a lot better. That's not going to sustain necessarily. But he's to me is so important to what they do um and cj miles too i mean he, he's been out recently but you know negative 13 net rating for him so yeah i mean those guys are going to shoot better van vliet and miles in particular i think that'll help them a ton but this has not been the bench unit that we've come to know and love uh could you do uh toronto's fundamentals quickly before we move on here sure the raptors are 13 and 4 4 and 3 since the last 15 and 60 their plus 8.1 net rating is third in the league fourth in offense seventh in defense 538 projects them to lead the east with a 51 sorry 58 win total let's move now to atlanta three and 13 they have lost their last seven games their negative 12.7 net rating is now 30th in the nba the biggest problem has been their offense as below a point per possession at 30th as well 99.4 their defense at 24th that's actually yeah that's about what i would have expected for them i didn't think they're gonna be so bad offensively because when you watch them actually like they don't look that bad danny like i mean we saw them in person against the warriors uh without curry and without green obviously uh you know i mean like they look like there are guys who are doing good things out there and then because of the turnovers you know they don't seem like they're generating like terrible shots or anything but i'm always surprised when i see that number 30 next to them because they don't look that bad when you watch them like that maybe that's just because i'm kind of watching trey young and like he's doing i'm kind of seeing some nice things that he's doing some potential that he can have although certainly they have not scored well when he's been on the court in the aggregate so uh, i don't know what do you what did you think about these guys quickly here before you get into the questions uh from seeing them on monday night too many one shot no shot possessions I, I think that's the the biggest thing i mean they have these yeah so, some not all their turnovers are just terrible they're not the a lot of those young young team ones maybe it's a little bit too ambitious of a pass those sorts of things i also think i mean we'll see what happens now that they have john collins back i think he'll he'll just help not i mean i like john collins but more because he's so much better than the other options that they had which oh were, yeah which were limited and it's not like they had enough wings that they could play tory and prince at the four so they that was one way that some teams can solve that problem the hawks don't I, I have thought them. they could have actually i think they gone they, with bambury like, or something yeah yeah bambury actually has looked pretty good this year mm-hmm. uh i agree you know so and pierce as budenholzer before him just is not really interested in playing prince at the four and you know i think they're obviously have some reasons to believe that that's not going to work but prince can't be any worse than the guys i mean they were starting amari spellman at the four and vince carter is pretty quick i mean those are the main guys and uh, alex poitras i mean I, I think replacing those guys with 
say a Bembry or maybe playing Lynn who has been a, a lot better lately and Young together in the backcourt and moving Prince up to the four like they can't get a rebound anyway so and Prince is probably better defensively than the all the guys I just named Poitras uh, until suffering an ankle injury has had a couple of flashes but you know there's a reason he's kind of a, a fringy guy um but now that Collins is back we probably won't see that so yeah I do expect them to go forward a, a little bit and just having someone who can finish around the room I think and we'll see where Collins's shot is at it looked pretty good in summer league but let's get to uh, a question here now sure this one is from i'll say it's from the triant and it's which hawks assets are tradable and what can they get for them to help the rebuild and atlanta's in this tough spot well there are a couple teams where people ask us questions like this and by and large i would say that the problem for atlanta is that the players that aren't a part of their core aren't really significant assets except if the hawks want to use them as a vessel to take on long-term salary so deadman fine player 7.2 million is is the number that i have met no problem with that i mean if he's healthy he can play he can contribute but i don't think teams are falling all over themselves to to get him now if you want to use that money to take on somebody for next year or something beyond and then with lynn he can help out a team but he's making 13.8 million so making trades is hard for him and it's just too high a price point for for most teams unless they're using it again as a, as a vessel for getting off money then i would say you know len and Plumley are probably net negatives on their contract i just don't know why they gave len two years i've I've never wondered that the entire time. And he, then, he's, he's had a few moments. I think he's sure been, he hasn't like looked horrible out there to me. Yeah, he's shooting he has a, a few threes. Like he, he hasn't looked horrible to me. But it, I I just always have maybe it's just my own bias against Alex Len having watched him. And I liked him at Maryland. Yeah. He was a guy that I actually. It's just that I very rarely see the value added. Like you, you see plays and you go, oh that's good, but you don't go like, oh man, that's why he's out there. Like it's kind of different. We just talked a little bit about Jared Allen. Like I see that a lot more from Jared Allen than I do from Alex Len, even though the margin between them as players is probably narrower than it is in my head well i think part of it too is just that we have that anchoring of him being the number five pick and never liking him to begin with when he was the number five pick and then he was on phoenix and he never lived up to that and so you always kind of feel in your mind that like when a high pick isn't any good you almost have to like push back against it maybe more than that player deserves because there's this perception that the guy is good or is going to be good just because of where he was picked and so but i think we've reached the point now uh, for len i mean this is his sixth year where you can just acknowledge hey you know he's probably a backup center but maybe maybe won't kill you as a starter you know we'll see i mean they're obviously they haven't been good um so yeah i I second what you said i mean any of the guys on this team who are veterans you are not gonna get you a first round pick you know maybe a second rounder or something like that uh and then baysmore again has money going in uh, for next year uh, but could be better than uh, a lot of mo- the money that's out there right so you know could it be the houston rockets uh, for example it, could they get houston's first rounder you know which is th- now that they're playing better is looking like it's not gonna be great you know and maybe you could see daryl moore being like all right you know we'll we want to we're gonna top 23 protect this first rounder for the next two years and then it becomes two seconds uh and then you could trade base more for marquis chris and brandon knight you know with, with that that's the type of deal we're talking about here i, I think you know knight and and chris basically considered relatively dead salary as uh, of this point uh but i don't really see anyone else on the roster you know prince obviously is someone that they think of as part of the future collins herder bembry young i mean those are the guys that, that they're kind of going to be keeping around so we're not really talking about their trade value and then the vets you know if these vets were that good they'd probably be winning more games right and there's also like a conversation with vince carter that inevitably they're having or they have probably hopefully had before the season which is hey we're probably not going to be that good what do you want to do do you want to go to another team and i again 
maybe maybe they could get a low end like a low second for him but i don't think a team's gonna because he, he can get claimed like you can you can trade for him since he's a straight minimum guy pretty easily if another team really wants it but i don't think you're gonna get a big asset for vince carter so no one listed here for this question what pieces the current hawks will do the lightning run here current hawks roster might still be around when they are actually a good team in three to four years and the ones that i mentioned there as some of the young guys i mean the most exciting obviously is young herder has had some moments although he's he's pretty bad defensively uh but he's shown some nice rebounding a little more playmaking and passing than might have been expected uh collins prince i mean those are those are guys who you know those are really the four that you probably would point to as of now i haven't been particularly impressed uh, with spellman you know he projects as more of a backup center to me uh, he's got to get in much better shape from a body composition standpoint too you know, ben breach you i mean he's a little older i've liked what i've seen from him i'm not sure that he's a starter but the fact that he's been able to shoot now gives me some more hope for him if that continues um so i'm not sure if that core is like oh man like everyone's gonna be quaking their boots but they got a lot more draft picks coming because they're not gonna be good anytime soon either uh and then uh, if you want to take this one danny can the hawks avoid being the worst team in the league yeah, I think they're going to be helped a lot by getting Collins back. I mean, they've been awful, but I mean, especially offensive rebounding, that, that's that been one of their big Achilles heels. He's good at that. And I also think there could be circumstances where they get fewer turnovers with Collins just because he can finish some of those and it gives them an easier place to look for a shot, even though he's not amazing as like a creator or anything like that. It just gives them an, an outlet. Maybe he can increase their, their foul rate and maybe help. Maybe we'll see what they do defensively. And But then the other part, if, if we're thinking about the whole year and like being less last in net rating there's a significant chance of that because they can get a lot worse if they play their young guys even more heavily than they have i mean we'll see how much collins yeah. helps but and if, if they, they move on from the vets i mean it'll be right. like, like last if they year like if they did got, that base more dump like if they did that this that'd be base is helping yeah. them he's and jeremy lynn is providing that backup point guard competence like if they start shedding those guys then they'll be awful but i'm okay with that but i think they're kind of full strength base kind of lineups i don't think they're the they're the off the top of my head i don't think they're the worst team in the league but the problem is some of the other teams at the bottom in terms of point differential are teams that have also been dealing with injuries like Chicago. I mean, Chicago hasn't had a, a healthy team all year. They're 29th in cleaning the glasses net rating, but they they have more health to gain than the, the, the Hawks do. So the Hawks might be the worst team in the league, but I don't think it's like definite or anything like that. I think it's the most likely because, uh, you know, and I think part of it depends too on whether Porzingis comes back for the Knicks as well. Um, you know, Suns, Cavs are in that conversation, but the Suns have like a little more depth, you know, they have at least like some players whereas the hawks you know even their young guys they might have those five young guys but then if they move on from the vets or they just decide to like not play the vets anymore just to like you know they're going to be bringing in very very fringe guys which i'm not sure that you're gonna you could say necessarily about the suns or Cavs or or Knicks. although these teams do seem to find a way down the end to uh uh, bring in some guys and shut some guys down all right that was good on them let's move to the Charlotte Hornets sitting at seven and eight, two and three in their last five. Ah, but a big surprise. They have, despite that horrendous blowout loss to the Cavs, 4.7 net rating, seventh in the NBA, eighth ranked offense, 11th ranked defense. Uh, they project for 39 wins. A few things to add about them just in general before we get into the questions. Uh, their clutch performance has been rough. Kemba has been awesome and everyone else has been absolutely terrible. Uh, all other Hornets are shooting 12 of 40 in the clutch and two of 20 on threes. That's something that we hit on 
two weeks ago and it is not particularly improved and then also there the offense you know it's tough for me to believe that Kemba can quite keep this up I mean he had that unbelievable 60 point game uh although wasn't able to get it done on the last possession against Jimmy Butler by the way that was not a foul uh good no call there uh yeah I mean Butler had his forearm on him but his forearm was against his own body I mean you get where where else are you supposed to put your arm um and Kemba you know you take a risk by just throwing up a shot uh, when you feel a little bit of contact and that's what he did uh got it blocked and then Butler hit that that big step back three but anyway uh what I want to say though is you know I think the offense could take a little bit of a step back but it's really the defense that uh has gotten really lucky Ben Falk wrote about that um that research that we cited in the time to panic uh, from Andrew Johnson also noted that the the based on the shots that Charlotte was giving up we could expect teams to shoot better against them so I, I expect that they will regress back to being around you know pretty even when you consider those facts but that would probably get them into the playoffs in the east if they can just be i mean they're, they're still seven and eight it's not they're not a disaster so you know i think the 41 wins will get them there one amazing stat for me with the, the pacers and this is partially inspired i looked back at it from pacers? kevin pelton hornets is uh, from kevin pelton's piece going through it was the hornets have only played 15 games so far this season three of those games have been losses to the sixers by a combined six points <laughs> oh baby two of those in overtime and that's that's just rough i mean it, it, I mean, they so the Hornets won a close game at the, in the beginning of the season. They actually beat, or sorry, they they who did they beat? They beat Miami close. Yeah, they beat Miami one thirteen one twelve, and then they lost. I think all of the rest of their close games, and so that's just something to watch. And that actually, there is a question on that from Dylan Houseman about do you expect their crunch time struggles to continue? And you went through some of the stats on it, and broadly, I I think that one of the big issues for Charlotte is that they put so much on Kemba's shoulders, and while Kemba Walker is amazing, and you know he had that. 60 point game and was the 18th most points ever scored in a loss in NBA history and they like I mean so KP had the stats on this 39 usage for the previous two seasons in for Kemba and clutch time so that's in the you know last five minutes of a game that's within five points or fewer and he has a 46.5 percent usage so far this season and he's doing better he's more efficient but the big reason why he has that as you mentioned before is that nobody else in this team can make a damn shot yeah no I mean that's a that's been difficult and I you know I'm not saying that these are like amazing shots. Um, they also have to get more out of Nick Batum. I mean, I didn't hear anything about injury, and Dwayne Bacon actually closed the game instead of Batum uh, against the Sixers. Uh, Batum just never ever gets to the room. He looks really fat to me too. Fourteen percent usage. I mean, that's not what they uh, and turns it over on twenty percent of his possessions. I mean, he really just is lost any athleticism. He's just not nowhere near as dynamic as he used to be. And he was he was signed to that big contract to be like the second option on this team and he's got 14 percent usage i mean he's just like he's like on his way to being out of the league right now <laughs> i mean well except for the fact that he has uh you know two more years left to that contract and uh player option on the fifth year but we should probably get to another question here uh, as well which is uh what is the hornet ceiling in the east if you buy that 4.7 net rating you know you could see them being like a six seed but i i clearly think that they are you know it's going to take injuries for them to get into the conversation for being above a seventh or an eighth seed you know like victor oladipo would have to go down for indiana or something like that uh for them to really get into the conversation um but you know i mean i, I think they can take heart the lavert injury probably helps them a lot uh and they could take heart in the fact that it really looks like you know we were like oh you know the teams that are kind of below the playoff conversation like you know one of those teams might emerge right you know and none of them have
job. It seems very clear that none of them will. You know, at, at this point, you know, unless Brooklyn can somehow weather this Levert injury, uh, the Bulls uh, have, are going to be completely out of it. You know, they've been killed by injuries. That was one team that people thought about. Maybe the Cavs obviously have been horrendous. They're not going to be making the playoffs. So uh, it's really going to just come down to them versus Detroit. And, you know, Miami has been worse than expected too. Uh, so, you know, it's quite possible that maybe Miami won't make it. The so Wizards that have been per- way worse? Yes. Yeah, that's another one too. I mean, I think we were we were writing the Wizards in. Uh, and so Charlotte actually is looking a, a lot better. You know, the Wizards are still only at, at five and 10. And I expect them to turn it around to some degree. But uh, as much as you can say, oh, they've been unlucky with their point differential, they've been far luckier with what's happening around them in the conference right now. And so in terms of their ceiling in the East, if you look at the top of the Eastern Conference, the Raptors, Bucks celtics in whatever order you want to do those teams maybe the sixers get in there all of them have massive advantages on the hornets so then what is their ceiling taking a couple of games in a first round series unless kemba goes completely insane i mean i would have them as you know assuming the other team is not like catastrophically injured right at the end of the season or something like that i would have them as significant dogs against any one of the four best teams in the eastern conference and you know theoretically let's say the the pacers jumped in for whatever reason and they they moved into that mix then i would have them as dogs against the Pacers as well all right we'll get to the Bulls in a moment here but I want to tell you about Calm which is a great solution if you or your loved ones have trouble sleeping one of the things that I've noticed and I think we just don't pay enough attention to is how well we sleep I mean it really a lot of times I'll kind of notice oh man I'm in a bad mood like why is that like nothing's going bad in my life right now and I'm like oh yeah I didn't sleep well enough like I'm irritable that's that's what my problem is I didn't get enough sleep and my my wife is in that category as well she can struggle to get to sleep sometimes and that's why we're excited to partner with Calm which is the number one app for sleep meditation and relaxation it was named app of the year last year by apple at calm.com slash capspace you can get 25 percent off a calm premium subscription which includes hundreds of hours of programs including sleep stories it's basically bedtime tales for grown-ups are designed to quiet your mind and relax your body because i know when i have trouble getting to sleep it's because i'm kind of thinking about all the stuff that i have to do the next day or uh dissecting the adjustments that the atlanta hawks could make in defending dribble handoffs shout out fred Katz. i hope you are listening but these sleep stories you can go to the lavender fields of france with stephen fry you can explore new zealand with jerome flynn from game of thrones and you also get access to a lot of guided meditations as well if you struggle with anxiety stress getting to sleep they've got lots of soothing music available as well so there really are a ton of options to help you relax there's even great stories for kids uh, as well to help them get to sleep and if they get to sleep then you can probably help get to sleep as well so once again, the deal they're offering is 25% off a Calm Premium subscription at calm.com slash capspace. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash capspace. That includes unlimited access to all of their content that will have you drifting off to dreamland in no time. Get started today at calm.com slash capspace, then get to sleep. All right, eight minutes on the clock here for the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls are four and 13, two and five since last time we did this, 29th in net rating, 29th in offense, 25th in defense projected to finish with 24 wins which would be 12th actually in the eastern conference and uh, can i say real, something real quick i'm really impressed that they're as high as 25th in defense <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean when you, when you consider some of this that chris dunn has basically missed you know most of the season so far and they're relying you know on a rookie center a lot but i, I like yeah. some of what we've seen jabari parker, parker they don't have anyone Jabar- at the three really like it's just well i mean hutchison uh, has done a nice job defensively that's something we'll talk about later on in the season we're not 
uh, I want to get more film on that, but I, I have enjoyed Hutchinson. So first question that we got from Jacob is, is Zach Levine a top five offensive player in the East? My answer would be no. He is closer to that threshold than he was at any point before. But I mean, there's still, if you want to go Kyrie at point guard, Kyrie, Kemba Walker, and then on the wing, Kawhi and Giannis. And then at the big man spot, oh, and Jimmy Butler, I would probably put above them. And then, yeah, Embiid, I would probably have in that conversation too. You're already well over five at that point, And there are a few others you could consider. Yeah. And now if the question is, has he been a top five offensive player in the East? I think there's been so little else available on this team to do anything that it's hard to say. I mean, they are 29th in offense right now. So usually if you have a top five offensive player in the conference, you're not going to be 29th in offense. Uh, but they obviously have had very little around him. I mean, Jabari Parker is the only other player on this team who can create a shot. I mean, they're starting Ryan Archdiakono, who has probably been good enough that us saying, hey, they shouldn't have given him a guaranteed contract. You know, I think he's, you could maybe argue he's been worth that. Uh, but nonetheless, he's not a starting caliber player. Uh so no, Wait, I, you want, I, I quick quick yeah. a quick great stat from cleaning the glass. Yeah. The Bulls are the Bulls have filtering out garbage time a 101.6 offensive rating when Zach Levine plays, which is 14th percentile, and that is still 2.3 points per 100 possessions better than they do when Zach Levine is off the floor. Oh man. Yeah, that, that's not good. I mean, I think you could even say, you know, Bradley Beal would have to be ahead of him, maybe even Wall based on track record. But, you know, if he does this for a whole season, I, I, I might change my tune, but we'll, we got to see. I mean, he's... Oh, and Middleton. I mean, there are different yeah. types of offensive players, but I would rather have a Middleton than what Levine has done, even with yeah. their lack of usage. Well, and, and this is something that we've talked about some, and I think is becoming clearer. And, you know, Ben Taylor's research has helped with this as well. So his research on, on scaling, I mean, you know, when you talk about a top five player what kind of team are you adding him to are you adding him to a team that already has pretty good shot creation you know Levine is the kind of guy who might be able to get your offense the way he's played so far and we'll see whether he can fit into an ecosystem with better players once marketing comes back and you know Dunn probably actually isn't going to help him that much since he's not much of a shooter uh, but Portis as well you know is a decent offensive player he's, he's missed a lot of time but we'll see you know if we're talking about the guy who can get you from 30th to 25th in offense just because you have to have someone who can create some shots and, and he has been relatively efficient on his own he's just not creating anything efficient for anyone else at this point you know he's not drawing enough defensive attention to open things up or maybe he's just you know those guys aren't capable of taking advantage of what he is doing to open them up i i suspect it's more the former um so you know chris middleton you would much rather add him to like a 500 team probably than levine because middleton can fit right in he's not going to take as much off the table for some of the other guys on the team uh what's our next question here a question from oh wow i mark wasseljew that how much value does Jabari Parker have as an expiring contract the trade deadline this is very similar to what I was saying about the Hawks which is his primary value is as a vessel to take on further salary because Jabari Parker is not worth 20 million dollars big big surprise there and they've also got Robin Lopez for that as well I mean I don't think it would be really surprise me if a playoff team were going to take on Parker and say hey I think this guy's going to help us this year yeah I mean a guy who's 25 percent usage at below average efficiency and you know higher either turning the ball over more than I, I'm comfortable with considering what he does is not wonderful and that team option is in might be semi-intriguing but it doesn't appear that he's going to be worth that so then you also don't get the surplus value there if like let's say the team would just rather have him at that so they would get the benefit then of turning theoretically turning it down and then using non-bird rights to pick him up but that's not great yeah I mean we believed that uh, there was a chance that Parker could really show more uh as an offensive player and perhaps before 
tore his second ACL. Maybe he could have done that. You know, he definitely has not been as athletic as before that second ACL tear. Uh, but the thought was already right, gets into a larger role and, you know, he's had all he can eat as far as shot creation with the Bulls and has not really been able to capitalize. So I, maybe he'll get better. You know, he still has been back for less than a year from this ACL. And, you know, that's usually kind of about how long it takes guys to get back to as 100% as they're going to get. But obviously, it's not looking good. And, uh, you know, there's some criticism from these quarters of the Bucs of, like, you know, not retaining him the way they've started. uh, That's uh, looking uh, less accurate. Uh, Mark O'Donnell asks... I'm comparing the Bulls to the Nuggets of two years ago. Is Lowry and Zach Levine anywhere close to Murray and Jokic? And could the Bulls make the playoffs in two years? Oh, they're not going to make it this year? I thought they're a real threat to make it this year. Uh, not that Mark was uh, suggesting that. He seems more realistic uh, about it. We did, that was a Stitcher premium that we did right when we, last year, when we were like, when's the next time that teams are going to make the playoffs? And I think we had them as like, you know, 2021, something like that. Now, Levine has been better. Um, but the biggest thing to me is that Larry Markin is probably a little overrated at this point as a prospect. He We'll see maybe he's going to come back and he's going to be awesome but comparing him his rookie year to what Jokic did in his rookie year I mean that's like not even close and you know Jokic is a, a near all NBA level of player and uh, Lowry is not uh, anywhere close to that level he hasn't you know I mean the odds are probably against him ever getting to the level that Jokic was at even two years ago when he was already really really good so he might get there but you know and I think Levine at this point has probably you know played better for this stretch than we've seen uh, from Murray but then we've also seen Murray be a part of a, of a really good offense so you know, i think I, i'd probably and murray is just a, a headier defender as well he's not as he's, he's got his problems but he's not as atrocious as levine is so i'd probably say murray and levine are pretty close you know maybe levine after, based on what he's done for this month uh before the recent illness is a little ahead of murray but the gap between Markin and Jokic is just enormous right now so no i i, I can't say that. i think that's uh an accurate comparison and make the playoffs in two years Ah, we hit our first timer. Make the playoffs in two years. You, I know you want to weigh in on this one quickly, but uh, I, I think it's. Uh, it all depends what happens with their cap space this summer, and I don't think that that's uh, that they're going to get a ton out of that. Yeah, if we're saying by two years, meaning twenty twenty, that'll be really tough because what they need most is a small forward, and that will be hard to get. With, even if they have a ton of money, just because supply is so so limited, well, and the, the guys they, they need are- a point guard too. <laughs> sure yeah i mean yeah. they need a point guard too and that there is more of a supply there yeah. but then are they willing to do so and uh, that's another reason why they probably won't is because how they're evaluating this team is different than how we're evaluating it and so if you rely on what we feel is an incorrect judgment of what they need then it makes it less likely to be a playoff team yeah now maybe i mean if they got a competent small forward and a competent point guard with their 50 million in cap space this offseason and then you know marketing looks like the real deal and and Carter develops yeah you know it, it could be possible especially because again I don't think that that competition you know for the eighth seed in the east is like incredibly bad so you know maybe they are closer than I give them credit for um but a lot depends on like wh- how marketing and Carter develop uh okay let's move to the Cavaliers here the Cavs are two and 12 one and four since last time we did this 27th in net rating 27th in offense 28th in defense 538 projects them to win 23 which would put them 13th in the east and I'll just start with a question from Millie which is what are some potential landing spots for Kevin Love and I think an important point to get out here is that after this season because generally speaking that's the way I like to think about contracts once you're into a year is really where it's going after that is 
four years, 120 million, that is 30 million per season. And that is basically as big of a commitment as as is out there right now on the serious trade market. You know, like if you're thinking of a guy as a trade asset, there are, of course, players making more money, but there aren't that many where you're really jogging through trade ideas with them right now. And the challenge there is that is the sticker shock, because some teams, maybe that depending on the trade, they're not taking on money for next season for the 2019 offseason, which would be a, a problem for a lot of them. But making a commitment to him for four years is very different than like somebody who's expiring in 2020. Yeah, and much depends, obviously, on how he comes back, if he looks healthy from this toe issue. But man, I mean, in addition to just the performance decline, in addition to the fact that it is very, very difficult to build even a playoff level of defense around this version of Kevin Love, uh, not to mention a championship level of defense, the concern, I mean, you have to pencil him in at this point for 20 missed games a year. And then you also consider the performance decline that injuries can cause in addition to aging. I mean, man, that 30 million a year for the next four years. Now, I think there's just there's almost too much risk at this point at the trade deadline, both because of his injury and just you know how bad the Cavs have been, and the fact that teams just don't know what this market is going to be like yet, right? I mean, we've had uncertainty makes it very difficult. We've had the crazy 2016 market, 2017 I think is you know more indicative of kind of what it's going to be in a normal year going forward 2018 obviously was very very restrictive because of all the previous spending that had occurred and, and so many teams up against the tax 2019 there are teams who have a lot of space you know i think 2019 will kind of be you know sort of an average year but then there's also so many guys who took one-year deals so still might be a little bit more team friendly than it normally would be and then 2020 with all that terrible four-year contract signed in 2016 coming off the books we'll see how much spending there is on long-term contracts in 2019 so it's very difficult to know you know how is 30 million a year for kevin love really going to look i think it's going to look bad you know of trying trying to ignore the crazy market fluctuations that we've seen but just you know i highly doubt that kevin love is even going to be a starter at the end of that contract and so you're paying 30 million a year for that so you really would have to say a team all right where the present value of kevin love is going to put us over the top but i don't think the present version of kevin love does put you over the top right now Uh, so you're going to have to get a team that's kind of desperate to take the next step whether it's you know a phoenix or a charlotte uh, you know or a you know maybe brooklyn if they strike out in their cap space and they're like okay we've just been in the wilderness for too long we have to get back to making the playoffs i mean so the type of team that's going to take him on is the team that's like oh yeah we really need to make the playoffs this year we haven't been making the playoffs. you know that's the sort of team um who kind of i I mentioned a few but any of those other ones jump out to you there yeah the thing that i think is the is the other key factor here is whether you can kind of mitigate one year the first year of this new deal by just not having as many other options. So theoretically, like let's say Indiana strikes out on free agents, paying Love three years and $90 million after 1920 will look better if they just didn't have much to do that year. And so Love could help them. You know, they also have Thaddeus Young as an option. Memphis, let's say Cleveland says, we'll take on Chandler Parsons' dead money. And so then basically for them, it's adding three years as opposed to adding four. Maybe that gets palatable because he helps them in the near term. They have Marcus Ole assuming he opts in they have Mike Conley for another couple of years they could yeah. just deal with uh, the although they also have Jaron Jackson too I mean I don't, I don't think well, he's been well, yeah. playing well I don't think they want to block he him. has well I don't, it's not necessarily even about blocking him it's just having another option and maybe they see love and Jaron yeah. Jackson yeah but thir- 30 million a year 30 million a year <laughs> for another option is uh it's kind of yeah. I mean Marcus Gasol the way he's played this year he's probably better than Kevin Love right now you know if you're gonna yeah, make I would agree commitment. that he is uh so what yeah, would I mean, you like, think because yeah, because the Jazz don't switch a lot you know because they have Rudy Gobert do you 
think that go, that they could make the bet that Gobert is good enough defensively, and then love, having Love would certainly help their offense. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's so tough with Love. Just the, the way the league has changed. I mean, expecting him to get out on the floor is just that's very very difficult uh, to you know. I mean, even comparing him to someone like Derek Favors defensively, I mean, he's an order of magnitude slower than someone like Favors, who you know at this point is kind of struggling to defend a, a lot of stretch fours or certainly anybody you know Love is just cannot guard anybody who's going to uh do anything with the ball in their hands and you know like like let's say pretend you're starting kevin love at the four and you're matching up against milwaukee okay so who's kevin love going to guard you you're and you have a traditional center next to love right all right so love can't guard Giannis. just not going to happen so now you got to have love guard chris middleton uh you know that's not too good either you know you can and, and so many teams now have these like really good creators that they're playing at the four you know the old threes are almost fours now in a lot of these lineups especially at the end of games that it's just it's so so difficult for him uh, all right quick lightning round here uh full name on twitter that's great uh is jenny osman a core piece or should the Cavs view him as a trade asset i think you keep him around unless somebody gives you a, a, a weird offer because you need to have young players to, to develop and see what they can become and so not every it doesn't have to be burn everything to the ground it's just you know develop and assess and evaluate yeah now jetty it could be one of those players like we were talking about with the trevor Ariza, where you know as on a young team that doesn't really have much creation and isn't going anywhere he's not going to look good whereas he might look good on a better team you know assuming he can make his shots and defend i mean he hasn't shown enough yet for me to think of like he's really going to be at the top anyone's list to, to trade for uh i mean but i understand the the premise of the question which is basically the idea that he's not going to put cleveland over the top for anything anytime soon and yeah he's young but maybe you could get something for him right now that could push that asset even further into the future but i think he's young yeah. enough i think you just keep him around at this point i mean if somebody treats him that way and gives you an offer sure by all means i i think because it's going to take the Cavs long enough to turn this around but generally speaking those offers don't come this is actually kind of what I was getting at with the Charge Covington stuff a few, a few days ago. And obviously those guys are way, way, way better than Jetty has been so far. All right. 30 seconds here. Can you compare Colin Sexton to De'Aaron Fox last year as Teddy uh, Blythewood? I think he's a lot worse in probably just about every area except his mid-range shooting. You know, Fox, just the way he pushes the ball in transition, Fox is a different level of athlete than Sexton. Sexton is a solid athlete. Fox is a, a ridiculous athlete in terms of his ability to, to get down the floor. Uh, and, you know, I think as shooters, they're probably pretty close to one another. But then also, you know, you didn't hear, you, you'll never hear anything about De'Aaron Fox, like having negative relationships with his teammates or, uh, you know, not being kind of bullheaded. And uh, Sexton, he kind of wants to be Russell Westbrook. That's how he sees himself. Whereas, you know, Fox is certainly taking on a large role, but he's as a character guy he's nearly unimpeachable and i'm not saying that Sexton is a bad guy but we've had some negative reporting about him uh and his relationships with the veterans and you know he's definitely does some stuff where you could see him as more of a selfish guy on the floor at least at this point in time and and even in his career before this you know some of the background indicated that as well and fox is not like that so no i I think fox is the far far superior prospect uh to Sexton uh even as of this time last year and, and that's without trying to color it as to you know what 
fox has become now i think he just fox just showed so many more flashes than we've seen from sexton oh yeah and on both ends of the floor i mean fox has been a better defender going back i mean we saw both of them play at the hoops of it i remember not the same year but i remember just liking fox in kind of those the the other elements one thing i want to praise sexton for is getting to the line you know he's he's getting to the line and i don't think he's going to make 93 percent of his free throws for his career he was i think 77 percent at bama but if he can get to the line and make free throws it certainly helps all right we could finish up uh for this part one with the detroit pistons because we did not spend enough time on the pistons last time so we will make sure that we make it the full eight minutes they are seven and six three and two in their last five 0.4 net rating 15th in the nba 26th ranked offense that is rough but the fifth ranked defense and a very nice shot mix so far which is something we'll probably need to lock in on uh, a lot of people have been talking about that lately and uh, they're projected to hit the eighth seed at 39 wins I think that's a good place to start with the question from Real Lockhorns. So far, Detroit has forced teams into less efficient shots. Will this continue or is it a fluke? And I looked into this a little bit and there, there's kind of a mix. So broadly speaking, in terms of the shots that opponents are taking, I think that that is largely sustainable. So they have given up very few shots at the rim, but that's been true over the last couple of years. Different coaches, obviously, but Andre Drummond has been there for basically that whole time. And one thing that is concerning, so again, that's the shot mix part of it the proportion but they have been bottom six in the bottom of the league in terms of effectiveness at the rim some of that might just be because if you filter out a lot of the the other shots that there's some that's unavoidable you know transition buckets and things like that maybe there are portions of that in there but again I but in terms of restricting shots at the rim that's certainly a possibility and something that I, I find fascinating with them and this isn't a surprise is that they really prevent shots at the rim so they're giving up a ton of floaters because you just kind of they're just shots that come in that area and floaters are much lower effectiveness than shots at the rim so that's one of the ways that their defense has been so successful and I understand why there's a thought that this is being done with smoke and mirrors because you look at this team's personnel Andre Drummond has made a lot of strides you know it's been incremental so I think maybe he hasn't gotten enough credit for getting better defensively and he'll still be inconsistent at times as well Blake Griffin never known for his defense I think he's again has improved I think the league has gone more his way because he's you know has always been better at lateral movement than he has been as a health defender protecting the rim and then you know Stanley Johnson is I think very useful guarding certain guys one-on-one but overall it's not you know a great defensive player he's been in and out of the starting lineup Bullock Reggie Jackson Ish Smith I mean there's nobody that you point to as like oh man this is just an awesome defensive team now it does help that there isn't other than maybe Jackson you know there's nobody who's terrible you know I think that that's uh, obviously an underrated part of having a good defense they also really clean up the defensive glass I mean they're, they're talking about the shot profile but uh, these guys are really good defensive rebounding so I don't I don't expect that to change uh yeah. Yeah. So, so in terms of shot mix, I think that it's reasonable to expect this to continue. Now, in terms of success of those shots, that's something that could really shift. I mean, Pistons opponents are shooting, I think it's 32% on three so far. That's lower than every, they have the strong, the weakest opponent shooting percentage in the league. You always expect that to regress to the mean. There's only so much of it that can be controlled, but balancing the other way. And I think this is a smaller factor, but still something Detroit's been fouling a lot this year. They were actually doing pretty well by that measure. Last, you know, last year they were 
the fifth lowest opponent free throw rate this year, fourth highest. So those two forces go in opposite directions, but I think the threes are more important than the free throws in terms of overall, you know, points per possession, effective field goal defense. What did you think of Stanley Johnson's defense against Kawhi and why hasn't he improved? I only saw the end of that game. I thought he actually did pretty well against Kawhi. He was involved in forcing that late turnover that set up uh, the game winner for the Pistons. You know, I think Stanley is slow. You know, he's not he, he's not versed enough to chase around a lot of guys. But, you know, when you've got these guys who want to go to like an ISO post up like a Leonard, I think he's a, a very good option. I think even going back to his rookie year against LeBron, he did a decent job, although you know, he got called for some fouls, obviously. Uh, you know, I think the greater concern there is on offense. And, you know, he's still pretty young, but uh, the signs there are not amazing. Uh, what else we got? Well, so with Johnson, I think it's why hasn't he gotten better? Because it's hard for players who don't have great ball skills and aren't good shooters to get better offensively i mean like we're talking about that part yeah, of it too i, I can never answer know. the the question of like why i mean his form isn't terrible uh you know yeah, i can never answer cut, the question of why a guy can't you know either like maybe he hasn't had the right coaching maybe he doesn't work on it maybe it's just you know there's something about the way his brain is wired that he's just not become a good shooter maybe it just hasn't been enough time yet maybe he's still too young i mean we've seen guys become good shooters at like 26 or 27 sometimes i mean it is the most difficult thing to project is you know what when can a guy who is, you know, not a total non-shooter, like I could have told you Rondé Hollis Jefferson, I felt very confident was not going to become a good three-point shooter, you know, because his shot is just like so hitchy and ugly. And same thing with like, you know, a kid Gilchrist or a Kyle Anderson or something like that. But, you know, guys who, you know, their form looks okay, but they haven't really shot it great in college, you know, but obviously they're going to be asked to do that in the NBA. I mean, projecting those type of guys, three-point shots, I just, other than just looking at their free throw percentage, but you know, if their free throw percentage is like in the low 70s or something, which I think Johnson's was, it's like, how the hell do you project whether that guy's going to become a better shooter i have no idea right and he doesn't have the ball skills to like get to the foul line or to, to get to the rim so he has changed transitioned his long twos into threes but he's not making the threes so you just kind of sit there and go well if, if that ever turns around and as you said defensively he's good on a specific type of player and i think that there is a value to that but as the league has evolved and they're asking for a little bit more versatility i, I think he would have been way more valuable like not all just defensively and i mean the offensive part is obvious but defense I think he would have been a lot more valuable 10, 15 years ago when there are more players and more offenses structured in a way that he could have a, a greater impact. All right, if you want to take this one real quick, we got a, a couple more. Do you think a two-shooting guard lineup could be an effective option for the Pistons once Luke Kennard gets healthy? They have enough ball handling with Blake Griffin that I don't think they will necessarily miss that element. The problem is they don't really have any twos that can defend ones. So defensively, I mean, they've been... Oh, oh so you're also. saying you're, you're t- thinking about it as let's take Reggie Jackson out of the lineup and just not even have a point guard. I was thinking of it yeah. as don't play a small forward and play two-shooting guard. Oh, well, not playing a small forward. Sure, if you don't have a small forward, that's a good option. You might as well play two twos. I mean, there aren't that many teams that are going to kill you in that. And even in those circumstances, you can handle it. So yeah, I mean, if you're going that direction, sure. If you're going the uh, going the other one, yeah, I was actually thinking just because Reggie Jackson without the ball in his hands is just something that's always made me a little bit queasy. So eh, if we're going your way, yeah, I mean, might as well if you don't have other good options. But I, I, I'm not in love with the, like the guys they have at the two aren't so good that they kind of clean, you know, Bullock has has done well but like canard 
Canard, if you're sitting there going Canard versus Stanley or versus GR3 or something like that, yeah, he, he could end up helping their offense and that might be more important, but I don't think it's like some sort of, you know, game changer for them. Last question, is Blake Griffin more tradable now than he was last year? So I guess the, the question is, could you get a package, let's say at this trade deadline, as good as the one that they got, the Clippers got for him last year, which would have been, well, uh, yeah, well, you, you want to take it I, a I disagree way? with your pre- I disagree with your premise for, and I think the difference is important. I believe that he is more tradable for a couple different reasons. One, Blake Griffin has played better. He's been healthy this year and he's been, he's, yeah, he's been better. And now there's one fewer year on his contract. However, I do not think they could get a better return because the Pistons gave up a really bad return for Blake Griffin. So I think he is more tradable, but yeah, they would he, get a lesser He's already return. on the Pistons. <laughs> right exactly but like like the one team that really valued him and was really willing to give up a lot for him well he's already on that team yeah so he he is more tradable for all other reasons other than that but yeah i think blake's having a really nice year and you know the trade is looking better than i anticipated but that's because i i I think i called it one of the most disastrous trades in the last decade so blake has been better than than that well okay i mean i think this year he's played i mean last year i think he played about the way we expected this year he's played better largely on the strength of better three-point shooting he's down to 37 percent now you know obviously he wasn't going to continue shooting over 50 percent he wasn't going to be as ridiculous as he was uh, and now if any of his teammates could actually make a shot that might make things better for him you know he might get some more assists things might open up a little bit more for him in the lane i mean this team is just shooting atrociously from three uh they are at 31 percent and blake shooting 36 percent. so uh, and he's the highest volume guy on the team no one else on the team is higher than langston gallo is 34.4 percent and that's incredible uh at least of anybody who's played more than uh 50 minutes so but and so again he deserves credit for having extended his game out as long as he has but you know i don't think he's played other than the three-point shooting this year that much better than we thought he would i don't think the pistons have played that much better than we thought the games are around a 500 team defense has been a little better offense has been a little worse uh so but saying that trade was a disaster was never about what was going to happen in the next year you know we i think this is exactly at the time of the trade if you said oh what are the pistons gonna be like how's blake gonna play i think they're both pretty much right in the range of where we would have thought over these next couple of years i guess he hasn't gotten injured yet you know that's maybe that's the one thing you can look at but you know no it was based on uh the fact that there's three more years after this one uh on that contract and that they're you know they don't really have a way to get better from here they're just gonna be in purgatory as blake uh, begins his gentle decline well and we should also mention that the the things that i was originally figuring avery bradley i don't know why he's the Avery Bradley in the pick and I'm like oh yeah that's right Tobias Harris was in that trade oh and and, so, and yeah. oh and by the way I mean Shea Gilgis Alexander is who they drafted with that pick I mean they moved up one slot but yeah they drafted Shea and they also Boban has is contributing to the Clippers obviously so yeah I mean Blake Griffin Bryce Johnson Willie Reed for Tobias Harris Boban Avery Bradley and a lottery pick well, I think you're undervaluing Bryce Johnson's contributions to the Pistons yeah <laughs> oh man uh all right that's a good one to, to end on here uh we'll be back tomorrow and this, this will be the last episode because uh, uh this week due to thanksgiving so uh actually our next episode or the next episode two episodes after this will be 15 and 60 uh although i think we will try to do all of it in uh for sunday night's episode next week but uh we will talk to you all tomorrow and then uh that's it for the rest of the week so enjoy these hopefully uh the fact these are a little longer can tide you over uh it was our mission to give you a good 
send off into the thanksgiving holiday navy federal has a mission as well to put members first by making their financial goals the priority receive a lifetime of membership benefits to help you and your family accomplish your life missions like a full suite of financial products designed to fit your needs 24 7 live support and access to over 300 branches on or near military bases visit navyfederal.org for more information call 1-888-842-6328 or download the navy federal credit union app message and data rates may apply